1: Josh Brolin in Men in Black Three, which is mm. an incredible performance and a great movie.
2: It was fun. It's just not Men in Black One. I don't. I don't
1: think anything. Well, no, nothing is. Men in Black Lying One. Is in a bottle. That movie. One of the best
2: movies ever made. And it doesn't make any sense why it's lightning in a bottle. No. It should be a formula that should have like carried on a dozen movies that that were all very okay or or good.
0: Talk about we're also, that are good. also surprisingly short. I remember watching it like a couple months ago. Like, oh, well, this just done.
3: <laughs> Tommy Lee Will Smith, come on, like it was. Yeah, that was. Uh, Those
2: are two actors who talk fast. Like, <laughs>
3: Tommy <laughs> both Lee Tommy jokes? Lee Jones.
2: Oh yeah. He likes. He shoots dialogue like it's I a that. bullet. Yeah,
3: I see that. yeah, in that movie, his it's like a his like all of his dialogue is like milliseconds before he exits the screen, and, and mm-hmm. like and it's all exposition. And, so yeah, it's just like
0: da, 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 da. bye.
3: And then and then Will Smith's, like, huh? And then I'm and I'm like, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Confuse Will Smith more.
1: <laughs> oh, <God>. oh my. <laughs> One of the funniest moments in any movie ever is when Will Smith drags the table when he's taking the test. <laughs> uh, holy shit. Uh, I oh, that's a that's a great movie. I and then he that. looks over to another that. guy and he's like, You
2: you want to get in on this? Yeah. <laughs> Fuck, it's so good. <laughs> Movies oh, are fun. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's do our jobs. The crowd is stunned, completely unable to make heads or tails of what they have seen. What does that mean? Well, it's going to be a lie. The Grand Fire doesn't let people tell lies. The crew does not riot. The crew does not scream, but you can feel all of their eyes on you. They have not moved. Many of them are staring at those scars you have on your back, thinking through what they must mean after what you've shown them. Some of them make the dark calculations that somehow this means you must be at fault for all the terrible things that befell Sphere after the stars fell. Some of them, hopefully, think about the gesture of respect that the captain gave you. Hopefully, that will allow you to sleep here another night, to continue to live your life here, to not force you to abandon another home. Jonnet, I am curious because uh, I think this is novel information for you. And Travis, I think this is also novel information for you. Mm-hmm. How do you process this?
1: I feel like Travis knows, but is like refusing to let himself admit what he knows. He won't allow the dots to connect in his head, I think.
2: I mean, denial is one of the most powerful weapons in Travis's emotional arsenal, so that makes sense. <laughs>
1: yeah, and if if there was anything wrong, he would certainly be using denial, but...
3: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, out of game, like, I feel like this is... I mean, it falls in line with, like, Jonat's perception of Gable, of just they are a... Like, not a like supreme being, but like they have knowledge and, and experience that the likes of which Janet hasn't really comprehended, and like, I don't know it it. He already was Team Gable, but I think <laughs> I don't I, I don't I don't know I like. It's terrifying. It's also just he's in awe. I like He will have to talk to Gable afterwards, but yeah.
0: Well, we'll see. Well, we'll see.
3: Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> Gable, where do you go to sit?
0: I think this were a few arcs ago. Gable would have left and gone below decks or tried to hide. But I don't think they want to do that anymore. I think they decided... The moment that they got into the ring, it was kind of an all or nothing thing. So if they're told to go, they'll go and they'll try and figure that out later. But for right now, they're just going to go to the back, go to the back of the ship away so people don't have to sit next to them if they don't want to. But they're not leaving.
2: Cool. And there are moments where people just try to process what's happened. But another stone lights up in someone's palm. It's a stone marked with an image of a woman in the water. And it is in the palm of Jane, one of the newer recruits aboard the Uhuru. Jane is still stunned, trying to process the information that everyone else is currently trying to process, but the stone grows warmer and warmer as she waits and eventually becomes hot enough that she's forced to move. She stands up quickly and moves towards the circle. As she does, the stone cools to the touch to the point where it is comfortable once more. And Jane looks around looks at the expectant faces of the pirates around her seeing anyone desperate for someone to say something to break the tension of the terrible truth that they have been contemplating for the last several moments and jane speaks well the sovereign never did me any favors so fuck him, right? Yes. And yes. the pirates like erupt Woo. in cheers, like people were looking for an excuse to drink, and there is like a rumbling wave of people chanting. Hoo-hoo-hoo! It dies away as Jane begins to speak. So I drew what I guess is the Rusalka. And I've heard at least one story about Rusalka in a bar. Uh, Some old wanderer told me it a long time ago. uh, And everyone that I've told it to since has told me that I got the details wrong. This is what I heard. There was a man who lived long ago in a poor village outside Aram. And he was blessed with a few things. He had his health, though he was aging and tired. He had his home, though it was small and humble. And he had his wife, who was beautiful and devoted. And for many years... Those precious few things were more than enough. But this town was beset by a winter that came and stayed for a full year. Stores throughout the town dwindled, and soon generosity in the hearts of people who lived there hardened into selfish fear. The man worried for his health, for he might waste away. He was worried for his home, for frost had cracked the foundation. And he was worried for his wife, because she did not deserve to suffer. The earth was too hard to farm, and the hearts of his fellow villagers made begging near impossible. Still, he tried, and at night he and his wife shivered as they starved. Eventually, he grew ill, so ill he could no longer leave his bed even to beg. His wife tried to tend to him, but they had so little between them, and all the little that she got she gave to him in hopes that he might recover from either the cold or the hunger." When things seemed their darkest, she committed the last of the little strength she had to weaving. And she was a skilled weaver. She was skilled because she wove her love into the thread and made marvelous fabric that matched her own loveliness. It was a blanket, and she used it to cover them and warm them. And it was as warm as the love that she had for her husband, and it held out the cold of winter. And although the man was near death, that warmth brought him back to life, gave him the strength that he needed to go out once more to beg again. And he took the blanket with him. And it kept him warm while he was on those streets and allowed him to stay out longer than any of the other beggars in the village. The man was approached by a merchant, a man with eyes like coal, who stopped to admire the blanket. He asked the man where it came from, and the man replied, My wife wove me this to protect me from the winter cold while I beg. The merchant with the coal eyes lit up at that and smiled. I will give you two copper bits for that blanket. The man shook his head and replied, You are generous, as two bits would feed us for two weeks— But unfortunately, that will not be enough for my wife to reclaim her strength. She gave everything so that I might have this blanket around my shoulders so that I could beg for our lives. If I give you this blanket, I will freeze. If I don't give you this blanket, I will starve. And since I starve already, I must hold my blanket. The merchant's eyes went dark. As he was denied something he desired, he spat. Foolish man, no one will answer your begging as we all starve. If you wish to feed your wife, go to the river and fish. None dare approach the waters, but I do, and I eat my fill every night, and I laugh at every fool who chooses death over danger." The man saw that the merchant was healthy, untouched by the bite of colds due to his fine clothing, but also untouched by hunger, because he did eat fish to keep his belly fat. He saw what he could have for his wife, and he felt the pull of hope. Seeing the man's hope, the merchant smiled again. How's this? "'We'll make a deal. "'I will show you where to fish, "'and you will take back what you catch to your wife "'so that she will regain her strength. "'And in exchange, you will agree to sell me your blanket. "'Once she has restored herself, "'then you will set her to weave again, "'and I shall take my blanket, "'and you shall have a blanket of your own, "'and all shall be right with the world.' The man thought. He thought about how his wife had worked to tend to him, and how she had given so much of her strength to make this fine blanket, and what it meant for him to hold it. But he also thought of how thin she looked, at how meager she looked when she was once a picture of health and beauty. Seeing no other choices, the man agreed— And the merchant took him to the river and showed him where to fish. And the man caught many fish. He caught enough fish for him and his wife to eat their fill for weeks on end. And after those weeks, once his wife's body was restored to health, the man, true to his word, took the blanket that had kept them warm to the merchant." He offered the blanket and his thanks, and the merchant handed the man a full copper bar instead of two bits, which the man took for a gesture of generosity. The merchant reminded the man that he must make his wife weave something new, that together with his wife's skill, the three of them could enter a very profitable business the man took the bar that he had gotten in return for the blanket and he proceeded to purchase supplies so that he might repair his house to hold out the winter chill. And so he did. And for the first time in a very long time, they had warmth that night without the need for their blanket. When his wife asked where it went, In a flurry of excitement, the man told her of the kind merchant who had taught him how to fish, taught him how to get the fish that saved them both, and then explained that with more weaving, they could have a life of comfort and ease, even in this long winter. His wife saw his joy and could not bring herself to deny his smile. She agreed to weave again though it took much from her to do so. She also told her husband that her weaving was a secret, one that he must never witness, that she could only do it if he did not open the door while she did so. And of course he agreed, for he loved his wife, and he wanted to offer her the life of ease and comfort that the merchant had promised. As time passed, the man and his wife sold many things through the merchant. They fixed their house to be fine instead of modest, and filled it with stores that would last a hundred winters. However, despite the plenty they had found together, the man's wife took ill once more. And each time she finished a new weave, she came out looking more pale and weak. One day, the merchant came to collect more weaving to sell to his wealthy clients, and the man told him through tears that he could not make his wife weave any longer. She had fallen too ill, and that if she were to weave any more, she would certainly die. At this, the merchant grew furious, and the coals in his eyes lit with a terrible fire. "'You foolish man! I have wealthy and powerful clients demanding more of this fabric. I have already sold her next weave to the Queen of Aram. She will pay one hundred times what the others have. Have you forgotten what saved your wife before?' go to the river and take more fish they will nourish her now as they did then and we will both be rich men do that or i shall beat you and take what weaving remains for my own and keep all the profits to myself the man fled the man fled in terror from the horrible fury of the merchant and he went to the river to try and fish once more he shivered in his new fine clothes, for they did not warm him in the way his blanket had in the past. But the fish would not come. He ventured further down the river, where it ran wide and wild. He cast again and again from the bank, but came back with nothing. In desperation, he waded into the freezing water— and his bones began to clack and chill. Then a voice broke through the torrent of the river. I feel the want in your heart, little man. What would you have from me? Before him stood Rusalka, the spirit of the river. Her eyes were like blossoms and her voice a cool current. She was fluid grace and untold beauty, given form. The man had never seen a creature as lovely as Rusalka, even his wife. I am looking for fish, mistress, the man said, terror in his heart. The hunger in your heart is for fish? Rusalka drew closer. "'I feel more appetite in you than what a man has for fish.' As she drew closer, the man could not help but notice her beauty. "'It is for my wife. She is ill, and the fish of your river saved her before when she was at death's door.' The man chattered and looked up at her with eyes full of fear, for he had heard stories of what Rusalka had done to other men. Her dark eyes cascaded down her back in a flowing fury. Your wife is ill, but you are fat and finely dressed. How has she fallen ill? Do you not live in a fine and sturdy home?" The man's voice shook. My wife weaves wondrous things, and and they keep us warm and wealthy even in the long winter. But she cannot recover from one week to the next. Demand for her weaving is too high, and so she is set to waste. Rusalka ran a hand over the man's chest, and her cool touch made him shiver. "'but not from freezing. "'Do you desire a wife, or do you desire me? "'We could lay together while she is ill, "'and I could show you things that your wife never could.' "'And the man in his heart was tempted. "'But he remembered his wife's beauty. "'He remembered her smile when she was vital.' and he refused. No, mistress, you are the picture of loveliness, but her love is a love that I need more than yours. Rusalka was undeterred. Is it her love you desire, or the wealth she brings you? lay with me and i will grant you all the wealth my rivers touch lay with me and you will know the bounties that the lost kings found only in their dreams her eyes held his firmly and he could not look away again the man was tempted But he remembered the devotion that his wife had to save them from the cruel cold when he laid ill, and he refused her again. No, mistress, I cannot. I love my wife more than even wealth. I love her more than my life, which is why I risk it to save her. The river raged around them, as Rusalka called. You lie. You set your wife to weave and let her waste while your home filled with petty comforts and idleness. You did not love her until you imagined you would lose her and all the petty things that she brought you. "'That is what brought you to my banks before "'when you caught the fish to save her. "'That is what brings you into my waters now. "'Lay with me and embrace the coldness "'that lies at the core of your heart.' "'And she ran her fingers through his hair "'and gripped them tightly to pull it, "'moving his lips in line with hers. "'And the man was racked with guilt and began to cry. For he saw how his greed and desire pulled him away from what he cared for. And he felt the desire for Rusalka even now through his sadness and sorrow. A desire to soothe the aches that folks hide within the darkest corners of his heart. He felt himself start to give in, to drift his lips towards hers. But then he remembered the warmth of his wife's blanket. the warmth of the love that kept him from the cold of winter and barred him from the doors of death and he rebuffed her a third time no mistress the man cried i must save her i must make up for what i have done she cannot waste for my sake for i do not deserve her love there we agree rusalka replied stiffly "'For even now she weaves. She weaves for the love of you. She weaves for your hopes and your desires. "'If you wish to save her, you must save her from yourself. Flee my shores and find her in her "'weaving room. Break the one covenant with her that you have not broken—' and lay your eyes upon her as she weaves. Do this, and she will fly from you as she should have long ago. She will live, and you will live. You will live to remember my face and all of your foul wantings whenever you imagine yourself as a victim instead of a villain. And so the man did flee. The man fled to return to his house, and he approached the room where his wife worked on the loom. He could hear the meager clacking from behind the door, what must have been the heavy movements of her wasted arms. And he wept as he thought of her love and how she had let him abuse her. He pulled the door open and the two of them locked eyes and wept together. She was weak and bloody, plucked of all but the barest sliver of vitality. she was confused as the man uttered his sorry words. And that is all she heard of him, those meager apologies, before the wind stole her from the home and pulled her out of the window into the night and the sky. The man saw that she had finished a blanket, grander than all of the previous weaving she had done before combined. He hid that blanket before the merchant's return. He tried to explain that his wife was gone through the merchant's rage, but the merchant's greed could never be satisfied. It is said that, The man was cast out by the merchant, set to wander the world, as he does still today, looking for his lost love, hoping that he might one day be able to make it up to her. His heart is full of sorrow that turns to a sickly, cold embrace whenever he feels that he has been wronged by Rusalka, or the merchant, or any other thing that is not his own greed. But there is a thing that soothes and warms this icy ache, and it is the warmth of the blanket that his wife gifted him on their last night together, and the memory of the love that he lost, and that allows him to walk to this day, even though many other men like him have died and gone away. And once again, the crew of the Uhuru is met with a somber silence. The warmth cuts through the cold of those who are remembering their own greed and remembering the terrible things that they have done. They find this warmth with one another and drink to it in camaraderie. Which brings us now to Travis. Travis, the stone in your palm glows warm and it bears the symbol of the rake.
1: Oh, well, this is this is uh, this is impossible. This is a mistake. Because for two reasons. First of all, I already went. I told the story about Dexie and Dickie and the hanging upside down and and all of that. And second of all, uh, you see, when, when this all started, I had a... This is my own stone that I brought from home. So there's no way you see that it could.
0: You carry around stones?
1: I have never seen you with that stone before.
0: Why do you just walk around with stone? Do you have lots of it, well, or do you just sure a lot? It's a pocket.
1: It's a it's a pocket stone. You That's don't have a pocket I stone think. when you need the- pocket stone. I've heard of
3: a pocket watch, not as pocket stone. I've never heard of a pocket stone as well.
2: I've heard of a pocket
0: pet. I've heard of a pocket rocket. That's I've
2: Heard of like, a pocket sandwich, maybe.
1: Never heard it. I am sorry. Well, now what? That we slam. Now that we've discussed <laughs> all of the things that can go in pockets, I think we've had a successful night. I think it's time to wrap things
2: up. Great job, everyone. And the stone pulses with a fury that calls in your mind. Tell the crew of how you have harmed them in the name of selfish desire. Tell them or I will burn you from the inside out. And you feel... Warmth in your heart. Warmth that edges on heat. What do you do?
1: Uh, Travis walks to the fire. Well, now it's... Possible that I might have stretched the truth a little bit from time to time, but I think we can all agree that that's one of the things that makes me so lovable. You see, it's, it's the fact that I'm sort of the ship uh, scamp. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, from time to time, I will skim a potato or two off the top of the manifest for myself, Uh, They fit nicely in my pockets next to my rock. And uh, again, like I said, I think that it is a good time to call it a night. Great stories all around. Wonderful job.
2: The heat inside grows more intense and racks you with pain.
1: (sighs) All right, and fine. There was never (laughs) a rule in the book that said that I needed my own bunk because I was quartermaster until... I wrote that rule in the book that said that I needed my own bunk because I was quartermaster.
2: The flames of the grand fire gather around Travis's feet and start to lick their way up his body, consuming him in flame. And you feel the touch of that flame in inches and increments. You know, it darts in and out, but each time it brings a searing and intense pain that does not mark your flesh.
1: All right. This is a new coat, and if this fire gets too real, I don't want it to get burned. <laughs> it's a coat I bought myself.
2: <laughs> the fire, <Categorically> very quickly. <laughs> <untrue>. <laughs> Prove demonstrably so.
1: <laughs> All right. Shortly after I joined the crew of the Uhuru, after much begging from the other members, I, as you know, went on a scouting mission to an island with some folks who are with us and some who are not. And on that trip, I did some things... For personal gain. But who among us hasn't done such things? is <laughs> another burst of fire. Okay. Now, how come... I'm sure that other people, when they told their stories... You know... Were telling their own versions of their stories. And they didn't have any of this. And that, to me feels like it's on on the grand fire and not me. But I digress. As a new member of the crew, I knew that it was important to ingratiate myself with those who made decisions. And so I went along. Assuming it would be your standard, you know, scope them out and return. I didn't know, of course, that there was a plot to end the captain's life.
2: There is a murmur in the crew, as this is information they've never heard before.
1: And I certainly didn't know that that plot would succeed.
2: There is another confused murmur that washes over the crowd. People lean in expectantly, waiting for the grand fire to burn Travis again. But the flames do not come.
1: Once I knew what was happening, I knew it was too late. Calavar had betrayed the captain and slain him on the island. I knew two things. I knew that if I wanted to stay alive myself, I needed to ensure that Calivar did not return with us. And I knew that if once I returned, I wanted to continue to stay alive, I needed a captain with me. And so I along with others chose to make the best of a very bad situation. And so through the workings of our dear friend Jeff Jeff Jeff
2: gave Chest. The fire burns you because that's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: well, that's that wasn't his real name either. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I've got, got I've it. got you there. That was a test, and the fire failed. <laughs> 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 anyway, Dref used his knowledge to bring the captain back. Uh, But unfortunately, he could not bring the captain all the way back. Just back enough. Uh, But I think overall, he did a pretty good job. And I think (laughs) the captain
2: would certainly agree. And with that, Ormar stands up. As the crew looks at him with gazes that mix curiosity and horror. The captain strides once more into the grand fire and draws his blade. Everyone waits and watches as the captain holds the sword in his hand. And Travis, you can see muscles tense and flex in his sword hand as though the captain is making a decision. One of the things that really strikes you about this is that that is far too natural of a muscle movement for it to be one of the programmed movements that Dref came up with when he was designing the ruse that would be the captain Oh, all those months ago. The second thing that strikes you about this is the captain's fist as it is brought deep into your stomach, causing you to fall over with the wind knocked out of you.
1: Well, this the cap- was not supposed to be part of it.
2: <laughs> the captain combs his fingers through Travis's hair and lifts, lifting him up off his feet above the ground holding him aloft for all on the crew to see. It doesn't uh, they,
3: feel great. Okay. <laughs> I feel like at that point, John, it's probably at least like, hey, put him down.
0: Okay, Gable's behind Jonnett.
2: <laughs> yes. The two of you watch in like kind of anxious horror, not sure of what's going to happen. And I think... You even get the opportunity to rush forward into the fire, and I will say that the fire does burn you as you approach. I'll let you decide on your own whether or not that matters to you as you dash forward to save a friend who appears to be in mortal peril. But the captain's blade moves quicker than you do, and hair falls down as the captain has cut the front of Travis's hair, letting him fall down into the fire at his feet. This is a mark of deep shame aboard the Uhuru. It is a punishment given to socially ostracize anyone who has violated some of the deeper tenets of the crew essentially giving wrongdoers bangs. And they're bad bangs. <laughs> they're not even or good at all. Ugh, a mullet of penance.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's like
0: As the custom. <laughs> like, yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. Micro they're bangs. They're
1: way too short. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: It's like you thought it was punk, but it really just looks bad because you've got a bad forehead.
3: There's like a section that's like the original length.
2: (laughs) 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 Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it only got part of it. As the custom goes, this person is not to be expelled from the crew. They are not to be killed or harmed physically much, but their penance is supposed to last as long as this haircut does.
1: Now, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm not, when Travis does turn back into a person after he's an animal, will his hair just be back to normal? (laughs) Yeah,
0: it will. That sucks. Uh, That sucks. uh, sucks.
1: I hate that. He needs to live with some consequences for longer than
3: 24
1: hours. That's so (laughs) fucking (laughs) funny. I'm so- <laughs> God. Lock.
2: Hey heroes, it's James, your game master, and welcome to the midroll. Heroes, I'm sorry that we missed last week's episode. I do hope some people enjoyed that world-building session. If you did, I've got good news. As we start the new arc, we're going to have a new world-building session available for you soon in the Secret Archive. That'll be including a special guest that we have for next arc, and I don't want to spoil it right now, but it's a really, really fun session. Speaking of last week, the big reason that we skipped is because of the election. And some parts of that election are still not fully tied up. Georgia had an incredibly tight race, not just for president, but for Senate. And there are two Senate seats which are currently undecided. Those seats are headed to a runoff election coming up in January. And because we'd like that runoff election to be open and fair, we're supporting Fair Fight Action, a grassroots nonprofit formed to fight voter suppression. And since we're talking about two Senate seats, I decided the One Shot Network and our heroes should try and make Georgia twice as nice. Which is why we have an Act Blue fundraiser open right now, attempting to raise $6,969. And we'd like your help to get to that goal. For the rest of this week, I am battling a very tense deadline outside of the OneShot network. However, until January, OneShot is going to be supporting that fundraising goal with different events but it is open now for contributions and I would love to see some one-shot heroes give to it. If you'd like to do your part to make Georgia double nice, please head to actblue.com donate slash GA69. Thanks as always to our backers on Patreon. I think Casey did a fantastic job with this episode and we can afford his work because of your support. If you like what you hear, please head over to patreon.com slash one-shot podcast and sign up to be a backer with your support. The show can only get better now. Now, with all of that out of the way, let's get back in the sky. So, we are on board the Uhuru. Just after the grand fire has come to a very emotional end. And I imagine uh, that y'all are, are somewhere holed up away from the rest of the crew. Where is that? I, I would the captain's say, quarters
1: to on yeah, the w- nose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: It I think it's draft's office, right?
1: Because
0: mm. it's his that, fault.
2: All of this is his Yeah, fault. it is it is his fault.
3: It kind of is Jeff's fault. (laughs) Uh,
2: I mean, I like that. Yeah, I I think Dref's makes the most sense because it is, you know, contained and away from everyone else. You could have some privacy there. It's not the captain's quarters. Uh, It seems like maybe there's some unpredictable stuff that you might want to avoid uh, concerning the captain. So, yeah, we we, we join y'all. In Dref's quarters.
3: Yeah, we're just gonna go ahead and nip this in the bud. Uh, Janet opens the door, kicks uh, jerkoff Jerry out. Just make sure that he's not there, and then we all get in here. And then oh,
1: hey, process. come on, come nope, on! No,
3: no, no, nope, nope. We've already pet, <laughs> and so now we can process in earnest. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, but I'll be back. <laughs> we know we saw the schedule.
3: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You've got the time. Yeah, you, you, you saw you
2: saw, but you're not respecting it. There are two schedules, like on the door with like you know lines and, and pencil things. It's like this room cleaned by this room jerked off in.
3: <laughs> oh.
0: uh, it's a holiday uh, day, so we're off schedule right now. Get out. <laughs>
1: um, Is there a window in there? Okay. Yeah. yeah what do you think I opens. look out of?
3: Get out of here! Oh, <laughs> how do you how do you slide Get. through doors? Uh,
1: it's you ever see that? E- <laughs> you ever see that episode of X Files with the man that can? Um, it's called Tombs. I'm a Tombs kind of guy. <laughs>
0: Get out of here! <laughs> uh, that'll
1: be, did you that'll, think that'll Gable- be real big with the X Files
2: heads.
0: <laughs> yes, all of our Gen X fans. Well, they want to <laughs> <Okay>, believe.
2: boomer. <laughs> I'm sure John Rogers. I'm sure John Rogers gets it. Uh, John, if you enjoyed that joke, just tweet it. Johnny, Johnny in brief. uh, Just let him know if that was, that was good for you. And Hey,
1: if you want a little treat, here's a freebie. Hey, you've reached John, not the John (laughs) who's saying this, but the John whose phone this is, uh, and John's not here right now. So please leave a message and, uh, You know, trust no one. Am I right?
3: (laughs) Okay. I'm just gonna... Because I had a... I had issue with this before when it came up in the other episode, but I guess I'll just voice it now. Because here's the thing. The point of, like, a celebrity voice on your answering machine is, like, you... You like say who you are, or you're doing the voice. You had no intro. You were just a different person on you're Kevin's singing. like voicemail.
0: It's more confusing. Yeah,
3: it's just like the wreck is like, abandoned, Johnny. Like
2: what I like about is it is. You just be The context clue that he gave you on that one is that his name is also, also John. John.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, now all I know is that this man that knows another man named John, and I don't know his contact info or where else to reach him. And also, it kind of fades out at the end.
3: Yeah, it doesn't stick the landing. Oh God. Like,
1: <laughs> d- do you have the lot. right
3: number? <laughs> And look, well, hey, I, that's coming from old... get someone who I, I, I I've I've stuck like five landings total in my life. I know what <laughs> I know what it,
1: I know what it looks like. Uh, the only way to find out is for uh, for all of us to wait mm, two three weeks, call John Rogers, <laughs> and see what his voicemail is. Mm, there we go. These, that's these
0: it. voicemails are, people have to pay to not have them on their phones. <laughs> <laughs>
2: In two to three weeks, this will not be out. (laughs) We have so much content between now and then.
0: (laughs) Hashtag content. Uh, All
3: right, yeah, boy, I sure
1: hope that coronavirus doesn't come here. (laughs) That'd be a bummer, huh? (laughs) Uh. Uh,
0: Is it Christmas now? Probably it's Christmas.
2: Is this a Christmas episode? Sure, why not? Yeah, your opening presents... <laughs> uh but yeah. Well you are in Dref's office. Gable has just opened the window. You know, some of the I, I think windows on ships like this, like it's gotta be designed in a way that like the bulk of the air gets directed away from the window so it doesn't like cause a swirling howl inside the room uh that you're in. So like a pleasant bit of night air drifts in as you sit together in the one small place of safety you have aboard this ship
3: i feel like out of everybody like my story was pretty tame i didn't know that i didn't know that we'd be swinging for the fences y'all were throwing a lot of haymakers and uh cable Did you
0: know that Travis um, was going to upstage me? No, I didn't know that. (laughs) You should have assumed.
1: You should have assumed. I didn't know that you were going. Well, me neither. Why do you think I cheated? I didn't want to go.
0: I don't always carry rocks with me. Just really, I feel like I was undercut in tone
1: and in content, and (laughs) I really feel like... (laughs) uh, Let's not talk about things getting cut in a way that they don't want them to get cut. Look at this.
3: <laughs> <laughs> John, John, just truly like has a moment to process how f- weird Travis's hair looks and just gives this like full belly pointing at bangs, laugh. Travis. It's, it's, he he goes up to Travis. He grabs the one normal length bang and he lets it flop back on his head. Yes, it's, it's, it's just like four strands. It's
1: it is quite uh, bad. It's uh, quite excellently oh, bad. I'm well. I'm well aware. I am well aware.
3: Oh, it's like the ship is tilting all the time.
0: It's like you're co- a dog that's confused with its head to- cocked to oh. the side. Oh, it's travis <laughs> it makes you look sick I don't know how oh 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 just luxurious I wish there was a way to take a a quick picture oh Too bad. There's hang no on such hang way. on I'm gonna
3: get a pen and pad I can't draw but i just wanna I just want to have this he, he he finds some paper and, and a and a and a pen and a quill and it's just all right hold still hold still oh uh, uh, what angle would you say that's at 45,
0: 50, 60 degree? I would say a good, a good 67. Math is
3: 67. for nerds. Thank you. Thank you, Cable. All right. He finishes, he rolls it up, and he tucks it in his bag. Thank you, Travis, because I will always have
1: that. This is also, the third worst day of my life. Third? Yeah. Number one. The day I met you. Number two. <laughs> Number two. <laughs> the day I thought I was finally going to be rid of you. <laughs> okay Okay, number four <laughs> No, I'm not doing this Alright
3: <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean How are you guys how, how are you both feeling That was I can only assume that Was probably pretty heavy to say Heavy to hear It's John, not great have,
0: it, Yeah, it's not excellent But you don't have to take care of us.
3: I just want to know how you're doing. Gable, despite what I saw, what you showed us, you're still my friend. And I want to know if you're okay after that. And Travis, you just kind of just let it all out. And I guess we'll get to you. (laughs) (laughs)
0: I've never been part of that ceremony before, but I imagine that Ormar in his currently conscious form, it would seem. Very conscious, very aware. A
1: little
0: little too aware. Extremely, one would say alive. The ceremony is meant to both heal and develop fresh starts to burn away festering wounds. And even if you didn't know what it was, the fire would reveal to us whether or not our offerings would be enough for it. And I don't know. When I told the story, I wasn't scared of it, I wasn't afraid of telling. It seemed like something that I had to do. But also, it wasn't forcing me to do something I didn't want to. It was just a new start. And it may not be a good one. I know that this may mean the end for me. Well, but if- But for the first time, I'm not scared of it. It's the first time anyone's known besides you three. Sorry, two.
2: <laughs> okay, I'll it- leave, I'll leave. No- There is a heavy silence and emptiness from a spot where Dref liked to sit the times you sat together in his office.
0: So, yes, would I have rather not? I would rather not know any of this. But I'm not upset. Okay. Gable,
3: who were you protecting?
0: I don't know. I know a voice.
2: We have to go.
0: I know a feeling. But I don't know anything else. Huh? Are you afraid of me? Both of you. (laughs) Nah. More than usual, no? Uh,
3: Not
1: even a little bit.
0: No. I, I,
3: I, I'm, I was, uh, I was shocked when you took it upon yourself to, to say that, but no, Gable, you're awesome. I know that you've been on Sphere for so long, way longer than I have, and you've probably done some things that you're proud of, things that you're not. But if you hadn't have done all that, we wouldn't be here. And um, I'm not afraid of you.
1: I'm afraid of.
0: (laughs) No, you go.
1: (laughs) (laughs) If you were capable of killing me, I am certain you would have done it a long time ago.
0: Well, I almost did. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Now you go. Say your thing.
0: No. Truly, I was just honestly going to say that I'm afraid I can't live up to it. Whatever it means, however people gonna be afraid of me or expect me to do the next thing. I'm still just a person, and I don't think I can live up to it. I, it's not, it's not fair. It's too big.
3: Gable, I not Everything that you've done on the Uhuru thus far has been living up to it. I don't.
0: I don't. God killer. Me. You I did- eat oatmeal for breakfast.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and you don't put anything in it. No, 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 no sugar, no strawberries, just raw no, no oats. milk. <laughs> yes, no hot just water. Dry,
2: raw <laughs> oats. No, <laughs> it's disgusting. That I'm afraid. The of. only other force on earth that can eat oats that way is a horse, which we <laughs> all know is the darkest, most evil thing on
0: Spear. <laughs> I can't, I get up in the morning, I sleep at night, I'm just a person. I, that's the thing that doesn't make any sense to me. That's the thing that it, I can't make these two thoughts align. Holding a gigantic worldwide secret and just being a person, just being Gable, it doesn't make any sense and I hate it. Anyway,
3: well I think everyone in this room is just a person and in one way or another, we're all kind of capable of pretty incredible things. to be to be to be a person doesn't mean that you can't also strive to be more, have more in
0: you, I think. Travis, doesn't it make you sad that Jonnet is so much smarter than both of us?
1: Well, it would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if I, I was it. listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to, to, to be clear, I heard everything you said, but I wasn't listening. You don't have to explain that anymore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
3: <laughs> That's baked in. I What I want to know... Travis, I. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) What happened? You said it correctly. (laughs) So, I mean, do you plan on staying on the ship? You've been
1: (laughs) marked. (laughs) Well, the captain is displeased. but... But not displeased enough to kill me. And that's sort of my sweet spot. You know,
3: <laughs> so this is kind of like a business as usual. Nothing really changes.
0: <laughs> well, here's the yeah, thing. It... Something I'm quite looking forward to is while the captain may have his opinions, the crew has their own. A oh, and they love opinions. <laughs> oh, oh, oh no! Oh no! <laughs> oh oh no! No 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 no! Oh no No
1: (laughs) Well if we were to If we were to take a vote right now Of which of the three of us People like the most I think Well I would just feel I would feel bad You know I wouldn't I wouldn't call that vote Because I would feel bad For you both
3: And I wouldn't let you call the vote Because you'd probably cheat
0: Ooh Yeah Hey here's a question why didn't you just do any
1: other secret? Why'd you do the big? I one? tried, I tried, and it kept burning me. Really? Oh.
3: And they wanted the the fire wanted the big secret.
1: Wanted the big secret, and you know, it, I just have this this nagging feeling, and I I can't help but feel. Well, I can't help but feel bad that I was the one to say it, not one of you, because it wasn't just my idea. Well, but I got all the blame. I got the bad haircut. Mm-hmm. I wonder why it did choose you. I don't know. I guess the fire really wanted to hear about the dumpy boys and their farm or whatever. <laughs>
3: <laughs> hey, my prompt was tell a story from home.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really not nice to call someone out and just like... <laughs> Like they maybe got some warning But like not a lot Versus other people had time to like write their stories With like great detail And I think you're being really unfair Also
3: Jane said that She was kind of like Kind of like iffy on the details Of the story And then like went in Like yeah. she nailed
0: it Really undersold she... it for sure <laughs> she crushed it (laughs) all of the dome too that's a
1: long one it was very well rehearsed not one note card (laughs) no not at all and here's the thing the, the few times that she did flub her lines, she did a second take to get a <laughs> clean <hit>. version. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> I just and then I'll run. be honest, like, y'all notice she was playing music underneath, she was underscoring yes. herself the whole yeah. time. A,
1: a brand new original, knowledge. never before heard song.
2: God damn it. <laughs> Sky <laughs> oh.
1: If only there was some way to, to. Ugh. kick an artist to start them on the process of writing a new song. <laughs>
0: there's no uh, there's truly no way there is a <sighs> independent kind of go-go that one might do, but go <laughs> go. <laughs> <laughs> Just sort of like that motion forward to to, oh, the, to, to go seek the muse.
1: <sighs> wow. Wow. <laughs> go fund me. There it is
2: yes. <laughs> <Excellent>. <laughs> Campaign Skyjacks is a one-shot network production. For more information, be sure to follow us on Twitter at, at@ campaignpod for updates about live shows and other events we might be doing. You can find more great gaming shows over at oneshotpodcast.com. Johnt Kessler was played by Tyler Davis, who can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Tyler A Dave. Gable was played by Liz Anderson, who can be found on Twitter at LizAnderson, underscore, 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 or on her podcast, Paired. Travis Matigo was played by Johnny O'Mara, who can be found on Twitter at Johnny and Briefs, or on his podcast, Dilettante Ball. I am James D'Amato, your host and game master. You can find me on Twitter at OneShotRPG or on my other podcast, One Shot. The original music featured in this production was composed and performed by Arnie Parrott. You can find Arnie on Twitter at A-R-N-E-P-A-R-R-O-T-T. And you can find more of his work at atptunes.com. This episode was edited by Casey Tony, who can be found on Twitter at Casey pony, spelled C-A-S-E-Y-P-O-N-E-Y. Or on his own podcast, Neo Scum. Our logo was designed by Fiona Shea, can be found on twitter at fiona pup the world of sphere was inspired in part by the music of the decemberists and the card game illimat property of together studios the game used in this production is a modified version of the genesis role-playing system that was created by a talented group of game designers who were fired by a private equity firm owning fantasy flight games there are no kings take flight heroes
1: Strangers who've ever been kind, and once for our friends, ne'er to rise. Twice to the dearest we're leaving behind, who you know we can never deny
2: the call of the sky.